Finding a dress shirt that fits is nearly impossible. Something is always off, you know, and I, I, I know this problem intimately. None of my shirts fit right. Be it the collar, the sleeves, you pull your arms up, it gets frumpy on one side, it never looks right, it's too tight, it's too loose, it's madness. And I see this, I'm on TV occasionally and I see my shirts don't fit right. Well, guess what? Thankfully, ordering a custom fit shirt has never been easier with proper cloth. At propercloth.com, you can easily create a custom shirt size in seconds by answering 10 simple questions. I did this, ladies and gentlemen. I knew the answer to seven of the 10 questions, and they asked me some pointed questions back very quickly. They sent me two shirts. They were perfectly sized, and I only knew 10, seven of the 10 questions. I'm so impressed with proper cloth. At Proper Cloth, you can choose from over 20 collar styles, 10 cuff styles, and 500 fabric styles. From classic to business to casual to completely customize your shirt and get the style that you want. The team at Proper Cloth works with the best fabric producers from around the world and only buys fabrics that meet their high quality expectations. No more cheap bargain store shirts you can wear only once or twice. Each one of their shirts goes through an extensive quality control testing, so you're getting the absolute best quality and craftsmanship. I showed it to Erica, my wife. She went, oh, I love that shirt. And I told her it was proper cloth. Proper cloth guarantees a perfect fit, meaning that if somehow your dress shirt doesn't fit perfectly, they will remake it for free. The whole process is risk-free. This is the future of shirts, my friends. These shirts are made completely custom for you, starting at only $80. So guys, stop wearing shirts that don't fit. Start looking your best with a custom-fitted shirt. Go to propercloth.com backslash spike today. Enter gift code spike. That's right. I'm the gift code to save $20 on your first shirt. That's propercloth.com backslash spike. And enter gift code spike to save $20 on your first shirt. Now, Podcast One brings you Spike's Car Radio. A downloadable Cars and Coffee, hosted by writer, comedian, and automotive enthusiast, Spike Ferriston. Now, here's Spike. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Spike's Car Radio. Nice to be with you. Thank you for joining us. I'm here uh, in the studio with uh, with the real Zuckerman. Um, in a little bit, we're going to have a little culture. Roy Seekoff is coming in. Zuckerman, he's the co-founder of the Huffington Post. He has a new book out called Lax Self-Control, True Stories I Wanted. Uh, I waited until my parents died to tell. Um, and he's going to come and tell some stories for us. Well, I, I don't want you to look through it. I, I, I want to talk to you before we get there. He's not here yet. Um, how are you feeling? Okay. Terrific. <laughs> you, seem a- you seem angry. You- <laughs> okay, what's new? What's new? First thing I say is, let me see the cover. You say no. Well, you I, I don't it. want you sitting and reading while I'm we're not talking. Reading. I, I just want to talk. see the cover. Oh, here. Let me show it to you right here. Here it is. Why do you got to hold it? If Why I, can't this is it? how you would hold it if I were doing my late night show. This is how I would hold it. You have to hold it for camera one, like that, not move it. And you keep what you do is you keep your fingers out of the way so you don't see your big, horrible that's fingernails. E- that's exactly what I wanted. It was for you to hold it up. I Look, wanted to touch it. I'm going to show you, and we can ask uh, Roy about this stuff, but I'll show you uh, two chapters you're going to like. Um, uh, chapter number four, the time Chevy Chase grabbed my balls right there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's on page 29. That should have been page one as far as I'm concerned. And then here on 173. Can you read that right there? Read that one right there. I can't. Well, she finally handed it to me. (laughs) 
Jewy Jewison and the Shabbat Shiksa. Okay, so this looks this looks absolutely terrific. It's going to be fun. And now, now look at you. You're just as bad as me. You're you're grabbing. Your hand is there because I, because I want to talk Porsches before he gets here. Remember, Chevy Chase recently had a, a road rage incident. Yeah, yeah. He he might. What, what would you classify his brain at? Okay. He's, it's it's ossified. No, but using your potato yes. scale. No, well, he's he has it's ossified. He has fossilized <laughs> potatoes up there. And what happened? He's one of the funniest guys in the world. Okay, what happened? As you, as you well know, funny people aren't necessarily nice people, and old people who are losing control and are getting close to dying uh, become less funny all the time. Right. I know uh, most comedians I know are very nice people, so really? I don't agree with that that statement you just made really but, but why did chevy chase's brain go bad do you th- suspect a head injury of some kind or has he always been like this and we just didn't know i think he's always been like this <laughs> but over time oh as we're young we we put like garlands and we 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 adorn ourselves with covering to 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 look nice mm-hmm. like a, like a gift we have nice wrapping. And as we get older, we don't give a fuck. We take off all of the covering, and the true self, the real core self, really comes out. And if you're an angry person, that's going to be the most notable characteristic as you get older. You just don't give a fuck I, I think about angry it. is too easy. I, you know, I, I, I'm not going to uh, diagnose him here from the studio, but, but why is it that people that, that, that are bipolar are very entertaining. Not, and I'm not saying that Chevy Chase is bipolar, but why is it people with mental disorders are so good at being funny and being, being actors, right? We read about actresses all the time who are bipolar, and they're tremendous actresses. Creativity. Because yeah. creativity happens in that sphere. In... In, when, in the manic, in the manic sphere, mm-hmm. in the creative sphere, there's a fine a sphere. There's a fine line between highly creative or highly intelligent and crazy. We, <laughs> we know that. We know that. You've seen a beautiful mind. Yes. You, you've seen. You know. Take a look at Brian Wilson. Mm-hmm. Right. Take a look at. Take a look at Brian Williams. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm I, just making yeah, that up. Exactly. So, anyway, it's it's not unusual for somebody to be teetering on the edge of genius and insanity. Do you think that's where we are right now? That the listeners out there right now are going, yeah, like you two. No, they're thinking you're just you're just crazy. <laughs> they don't think the, the genius is. I don't think our listeners think I'm crazy. I really don't. I know you're crazy. <laughs> You know me better than they do. And yes, I'm not going to. Anyway, look, uh, Porsche a couple days ago dropped the brand new Panamera Turbo S e-hybrid in my driveway, Zuckerman. All right? Right about the same time, you dropped the Touring GT3 in my driveway on two separate days. So my mind is swimming with with Porsche feedback. It almost violates your principle, which is that you can't get two new cars on, on the right. same day because one of them will always be looked it will never be assessed properly well i did get to drive the uh the touring gt3 for two or three days before this uh, turbo s panamera blew my mind and changed my life but both cars have done that and they're both special and different in in unexpected ways now you've driven the the touring gt3 you know what i'm talking about right. when i first get into that car and I feel the light steering, the light clutch, and the light uh, shifting, right? I feel 911R, except I don't hear a 911R note. I hear that beautiful GT3 note, and I'm feeling wider tires, right? But 
the thing that's get, making me crazy and is like changing my brain chemistry is shifting a manual shift car in such a modern Porsche, which is all about going faster and better and faster. And don't get me wrong, I love it. It's great. But trying to wrap my head around a slower GT3 is an interesting uh, – it's, it's getting used to a different uh, temperature of bathtub. Wouldn't but, you agree? But guess what? Guess what? It works. Yeah. Therein is – there is the anomaly. Faster is not always better. And somehow the fastest package with the engaging manual shifter is the winner. Mm-hmm. They made a winner car. They did not make the car that will go around the ring the fastest, but they made a winner car for the public. And and guess what? You and I are never going to drive the cars to their full potential anyway. So we're probably you – know, the only time we ever get the real advantage of the PDK is if we're on a straight and you can mash it. Yeah. And it's, and it's shifting for you at the perfect time. Otherwise, we're going to do all right with the manual. We're have, you, get, have you tried it in sport mode? Where it's got the little blip. Oh, yeah. It's tremendous, it's right? Crazy. It's really beautiful. What a cra- great machine. I haven't had it out to Malibu yet. I'm going to try to get it out it's, there this weekend. They did it again just when I thought that they could, that the, the .1 version was the ultimate version. They make another version mm-hmm. that makes the, the .1 obsolete. Yeah. In many ways, it makes it, and again, they do this thing where they change the steering. They did it with the 997, too, the, the, where the point two had a slightly different steering mm-hmm. setup that feels so fresh and so new. Um, and, a little st- and a little tiny steering wheel. Yeah, the, feels car small. Feel, the car feels, feels smaller, smaller, and it's an inch longer. The car feels smaller. And that's something that you, you've heard me complain incessantly about the 991 being too big. Yeah. This, the, the GT3 Touring does not feel too big to no. me. No. And I like it. You know, what, you know what it's got in it that I didn't know it was going to come with is a reverse camera, which, you know, on these GT cars, they usually never have park assist. But of all the cars that I drive, that's the one I want to park assist right. on because I don't want to crash that one. I will crash anything else. But in L.A., it's like almost like New York. You're just always around little metal poles and things that you don't see when you pull into a garage. It makes me crazy. Have you experienced uh, chalk fever from uh, yeah. valet parkers, from people in the parking lot, whatever? What do you mean? Where people go, oh, my God, that's an amazing No, car. I haven't had that. It's so far. And, you know, I've only – I ran errands, uh, I think, to Beverly Hills in it once. And then I, I don't know what I did, but I've been doing kind of normal driving in it. And I haven't done, I haven't done a real run where people have seen the car. I've been jumping into parking garages, going you know, to meetings, doing you, stuff like when that. When you go places where people will see the car and see you, they will tell you that they're blown away by the color, and that's because you, you spec the car right. It shows right. Yeah. With the matte yeah. black wheels yep. and the yellow seat belts, it really it, it gets something in people. That's a what lot, you do. A right. lot of non-Porsche guys at my office came up to me and said, wow, what is that car? What yes. is that color? That's amazing. I'm not a Porsche guy. I love that car. That's what Well, you know said. I wasn't going to do the black wheels because we were talking about how that whole look is over, but to have that contrast right next to the paint makes the paint. Well, and the, when it's inside, that's what I did. I, 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 I took it to the mall for Mother's Day to get some Mother's Day gifts. And under those fluorescent lights, it looked beige. And I then, you, you, then you bring it out in the sun and, and it, it looks, looks blue. It, it, it looks blue-gray, yeah, right. It's blue-gray. Yeah, it's a spectacular color. Uh, did they, they, They're still doing it. They, they ended, uh, what's Miami, the other? No, graphite blue. Graphite blue is over now. 
Um, but if you uh, have the opportunity, chalk is definitely the color. Everybody's going, well, which is better, the 911R or the GT3? And I can answer that. I don't – well, go ahead. You give your opinion on that. I'm going to give you my own anecdotal opinion. Okay. I'm going to tell you what it comes down to for me. Yep. The seats. And and I can't okay my my this is eighteen way seats in the GT three versus the sport seats in the nine eleven right and the sport seats in the nine that's the right seat probably in the nine eleven R I personally as somebody who wears a size forty four jacket fine Mm -hmm. with my shoulders and waistband and waistband (laughs) and thighs (laughs) and ankles and ankles and shoes and shoes. Triple E. <laughs> In fact, I have to slice the side of my shoes to let the foot blubber out. <laughs> anyway, I find the, the buckets to be excruciating. Mm-hmm. They, they're just terrible. So so I, I will always put the key in this GT3 with the 18-way adaptive seats over the 911R. That's going to be my deciding factor. You know there's no seat memory on that car. I don't get Did a I shit. forget to put that in there? I don't Because I usually get sports seats. I love the sports seat. To the me, G- that's the it's GT3 perfect. The GT3 doesn't have memory. That's it doesn't. GT3 it's just not going to have it. Okay. Well, anyway, what I'm hearing is guys who paid a lot for the 911Rs, that this is the comparison they make, that they overpaid for the 911R, and this GT3 is so close that why would you keep both? Why wouldn't you just put all the miles on the $170,000 car versus this right. you know, $400,000 right. 911R? And, and so the R, there is a little difference. It's a little lighter. It's a little quieter. It has a slightly different steering setup uh, that's not as progressive as the GT3. The exhaust note is what I noticed. Yes. It's so very different. One is a high, thin, light note, the R. The GT3 is your traditional GT3 exhaust well, note. It, it's, it's the, it, it is so close. You're yeah. talking about a, a pepperoni being sliced one millimeter thickness <laughs> difference. Yeah. So there you go. That There are thoughts on the car. I look forward to uh, a, a drive this weekend in it, and then I'm going to give it to you. you know I'll be fri- off to Italy. You know what frightens me? What's that? The future. And you love the future. Yes. And I am frightened about the future. I want to retreat into the past. What What about it? What do you mean? Well, you're talking. You're going to start talking about this e-car. Yes. And I'm going to get nervous because I don't know how to use it and I don't know how it works. And it seems scary to plug it in. I, I don't, it's plugged in right now downstairs. I don't like the future. I want to go back to the Cold War. Yeah. That's a typical old man thing to say. I understand. I'm an old man. Right. So w- you shouldn't play into that. You can say that, but but, <laughs> uh, but it's like you you're, get, you're trying to to tone down the old man mannerisms, <laughs> not turn them up, not say them out loud. Okay. I could have predicted this, but look, let me let me uh, tell you about this car because it's uh, it's you know the last the, when I got in it and it was charged up. I think when uh, on a full charge it says twenty three miles on the on the on the little dash. I. Uh, Drove to my office on all electric mode, quietly, listening to music, a lot of Led Zeppelin like you and I like, and it was, you know, that's the thing about electric cars, they're just damn quiet. And then uh, on the way, uh, Johnny and I had to go to a meeting, right, in uh, in Hollywood. He gets, he gets in his Hellcat, we get on Ocean Park, and I turn the, the, the little, what do they call it, the Manatini, the little knobby? Manatino. The Manatino. I turn it to Sport Plus and hit the boost, and I smoke him in his Hellcat. Zero sixty in this car is two point nine seconds. This car, uh, I just had the stats up on it. This car's blowing my mind. Uh, 
Zero to sixty is safe three two, but I know it's it's faster. Top speed one hundred ninety two, six hundred and eighty horsepower in this thing. And here's what it That's reminded heavy. me of. All right, my first drive with Jerry in his nine eighteen, where we drove down the ten in all electric mode, and then he turned on the motor, and then the thing goes. It's two cars in one. It's a Tesla and it's a Turbo S in one that you can put your family in. Now that is something I can use. (laughs) And I come here, right? So I had the little charge point charger installed at my house, which you you plug your car in when you get home. You look down at your app, and it tells you when it's done, so you don't have to guess when your car is charged. I come in here to the parking lot. I don't know where there's any charging stations. I drive around one corner. Charge point is right there. I I hold up my little uh, phone to the charge point. It turns on. I plugged it in. I'm getting free well, cheap gas. That's a dollar an hour, I think. But I'm, I'm driving around L.A. for free right now, not putting gas on this car, and playing that game where I think I could probably drive on this tank of gas for a month without burning uh, the entire tank. How about that? And then when I want to smoke someone, I just turn the mana, the manatini. The, man- <laughs> the okay. mankini. The manatini <laughs> is – manatino means hand. I know. Manatini I know. means hands. I like seeing you react. That's why I say it that way. You're a- <laughs> but, but, but now here, if you look at where this came from, the 918, a million-dollar car. Now this is a very expensive car. It's a $200,000 car that not a lot of people can afford. You can see where we're going. This, this, little, this little thing, I, I just – I consider Tesla for a second for Erica, for my wife, who's uh, driving a Prius, and I've got her out of it, but not after driving this stuff. Will the 992, the 911-992, which, which I think bows in 2020, yeah. will it have this? I don't know. I would guess they'll, they'll do a hybrid 911. I'm, it's a very heavy car. Why it works for the Panamera is that heaviness, that battery, that feel gives it a nice, smooth ride. So, How and, heavy is it? Oh, jeez. I don't know. Did you tell me it was 6,000 pounds? That wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> Heavier than a Hellcat, and that's a, that is a heavy car. But this car jams, Zuckerman. Zuckerman, it jams. And you know, as you know, you don't drive in that mode a lot. You just want to use it when you want to use it, and then the rest of the time you're not polluting. And, and L.A. doesn't need any more pollution. So anyway, check this car out, you guys. Uh, it's it's wonderful. I'm a big fan of what Porsche is doing here. We need more of it. Um, Tell me, Tesla what, does Tesla does Tesla become a? Uh, an I, I don't know how they're going to last with this stuff. Uh, you know, so Erica, uh, we're we're replacing her Prius. Thank God. I prayed every night that the Prius she had got four in a row, and I got on my knees every every morning and said, "Please, God, get that ugly piece of shit out of my driveway. I can't deal with it anymore." Praying for theft. <laughs> and she, uh, she, her lease came up, and I said, "Let me put you in a bunch of other stuff." And it came down to the BMW 5 Series and the Model 3, and we went to check out the Model 3 um, at the Century City Mall. And, you know, maybe it's a little unfair. Maybe there are a lot of people coming through there. There were three or four things wrong with that car. They couldn't open the little uh, doors. Something was broken on the side. And, you know, that was my worry about that car, that a first-year new model, that golden rule, don't ever buy it, things would be wrong with it. Now, they reassured me that 33,000 people were coming there and opening and closing the door. And I said, well, have you met my kids? (laughs) Because that's what they're going to do in the first week. And, you know, why I, I love the idea of the car. It was expensive. You know, those first models roll out with a lot of options. And I just thought for that money, it doesn't feel worth it yet. 
and and I like what they're doing. And I I just said to Eric, I go, you are you in the mood for a beta? Are you in the mood for a car? You're going to have to keep bringing in to get it right and to support this thing, which we support. And she said, no, I can't I can't handle it. So we went with a BMW 5 Series plug-in, just like this Panamera. Uh, a little less expensive, a lot less expensive, <laughs> and uh, she's joining the German car club. I feel like my car, my kids are in a safer vehicle as well. Uh, I was never a fan of that crumple zone in the front of the the, the Prius, right? You must know something about that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and we're off. Eric is in the German car family. Good. Yes. Fantastic. I want to play a clip right now. All right. Play a clip. This is good. Uh, John Cena recently went on Adam Carolla's show, I think this week, a couple days ago. He won't come here. He called in, and Adam asked him about the Ford uh, GT lawsuit, and uh, here's what he had to say. <laughs> now, I oh, said John. to myself, and uh, I wondered aloud to, to my car community, why would you make a video that was so public about you picking it up and then also make it public that you were selling it, knowing that would upset Ford? Right. But you tell me, what am I missing? Well, uh, you're missing the story that is to be told, which is uh, a legal battle between myself and Ford. And uh, I have full faith in the in the legal system. And, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly don't have any ill will against Ford, but uh, they feel one way about the situation and I feel another way about the situation. And. You know, we'll let the we'll let the court system figure it out. And unfortunately, now is that's pretty much all I can say about that. And uh, I just uh, I feel confident in my stance, and, and so does Ford, and and that's why we have a court system. Well, let me ask. Well, there you go. What do you what do you think about that? Okay, his lips were moving, and it was just a bunch of gibberish. <laughs> I like that Eminem song. I mean, but, but, but you're an attorney. Yeah, that, what, said, what is he saying? He without said saying nothing. It? He said nothing. Spike. Right. That was words and with no meaning. Words with no meaning. He could comment all he wanted on it. He's not prevented from saying anything. And and having confidence in the court system, he really is. He didn't say he was right. He didn't say uh, that that he's going to prove it. Uh, he's got no case, and he has nothing to say, and that's the best that his PR people could come up with for him to say <laughs> But it looks response. like he's, he's going to take this to court. He's going to go the distance. Wait a second. He, he, he didn't take it to court. They took it to court. Now he is in court. <laughs> but he and- didn't roll. Oh, he doesn't have the money. You don't. You, you I don't think. See, now I'm starting to believe this Tom Cruise angle. Now I've reached out to a couple of people, and Tom Cruise has just got a vault around him. <laughs> I'm not getting anything back from. And I'm talking about people who know Tom Cruise. I'm not getting anything back from him. And I'm starting to believe. Don't call me a conspiracy theorist, but I'm starting to believe Tom Cruise has this car, and that's the problem. Well, okay. I could have the car if John Cena had sent the car to sold the car to me. I, that would be a problem for him too. All right, well, I would give it back. Look at this now. Meekum has an auction coming up. Hold on here. They on uh, in a couple weeks, May fifteenth to May twentieth, coming up this weekend, a twenty seventeen Ford GT seven miles number forty eight of two fifty produced. Now, no one was. You're not allowed to sell this car. It's not a charity car, as far as I know. How come this guy – now there's another one up. They're supposed to hold the car for two years. Again, I can't answer this specific question. And Meekum might be taking a risk here. But if I was running the auction and I had an opportunity to be the, a third party who was not 
a contracted party to the contract for the car, would I want to try to auction that and get the publicity? I think it's a, I think it's a brilliant publicity move, and I think that that whoever now Ford wants to, they can try to put an injunction on it. But uh, Meekum's not doing anything wrong. Wow. So they'll just do it. What about the guy who put it in the auction? Well, he's he's a different story. <laughs> he, <laughs> well, it feels like the dam is breaking on these Ford GT sales, and if enough guys sell them, what are they going to do, right? Well, okay, there's only 250 cars, so I don't think that there's much of a risk. But I do think that that is that's interesting. I wonder if it's somebody overseas. I wonder uh, I wonder what the whole backstory is on the Mecham car. But uh, it could just be a stunt, and the car might never go to auction. All right. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to meet uh, Roy Seacoff, co-founder of the Huffington Post, and talk about his new book. Fellas, important question for you. Do you feel like you've got a little less hair than you used to? Be honest with yourself. Look at Zuckerman. The more of you that run from the truth, the faster the truth will catch up to you. So here's the thing. There are two clinically proven medications that let you keep your hair, and now they're inexpensive and easy to get. Long story short, but the important thing is that you don't need to lose your hair if you don't want to. That's why we need to talk about Keeps. For a few minutes now and just a dollar a day, you'll never have to worry about your hair loss again. Our producer, Will, went through the sign-up process, and he tells me, I'm looking at him right now, he said, quick and easy. He's got a beautiful head of hair. Not sure why he signed up for it, but I'm sure it's going to be even more beautiful now. Preventative measures. Oh, preventative measures. Just enter some personal details and your address so they know where to send the product. Answer only a handful of simple, straightforward questions and submit three photos of your head to the doctor to look at and you're done. It was easy, right? Very easy. It took him less than five minutes and now he's on his way to glorious hair like Clark Kent. Unlike Zuckerman, who has accepted his keratin calamity and looks like Lex Luthor. If you could reverse your hair loss and all it costs you was five minutes and a buck a day why aren't you already on it keeps is only 10 to 35 dollars a month plus now you can get your first month free one hell of a deal for getting to keep your hair there's no reason to put this off any longer stop hair loss today the easy way with keeps to receive your first month of treatment for free go to keeps.com slash spike that's my name that's keeps.com slash spike that's a free month of treatment at keeps dot com slash spike keeps hair today hair tomorrow hey humans david smalley here from the dogma debate podcast right here on podcast one where we talk about all the things you're not supposed to discuss at work religion politics abortion racism slavery and that's only when we open the bible we discuss islam islamophobia what does that even mean we chat with vegans animal rights activists and even visit factory farms to see it for ourselves i invite people from multiple backgrounds to convert me into their worldview but as long as they're okay with being respectfully challenged you better bring your evidence and i never lose sight of how both the left and the right are seeming to lose their minds So basically, we're solving all the world's problems right here on Dogma Debate. And you've been missing it. Download Dogma Debate on iTunes, Stitcher, or PodcastOne.com. Okay, this is a 30-second commercial, and I'm going to throw a lot of numbers at you, but please stay with me. In just 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. This company has been offering great rates and great service for over 75 years, and anytime you need help, you can speak to one of their trained specialists 24-7. That company is Geico. Go to geico.com today. Sorry for all the numbers. And in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, I'm out of time. You're listening to Spike's Car Radio. 
All right, we're back. Spike's Car Radio. We're sitting here with uh, Roy Seacuff. Roy, I'm looking at your press release here. Okay. If David Sedaris, Chelsea Handler, Larry David, and Caitlin Moran had an orgy in history. The, likely, the unlikeliest orgy in history. That's right. Who's Caitlin Moran? Caitlin Moran is a fantastic <laughs> essayist from England. She wrote uh-huh. a book called How to, be a Girl, How to Build a Girl and also one How to Be a Woman. Very funny woman. Well, this is a glowing review of your book. And it instantly makes me want to read it. You know, I have it right here. I'm taking it to Italy with me. Fantastic. Primarily because it's an advanced copy and it's small and it's going to fit. Yes. It's very, very but easy. But so to... many of the chapters had me laughing out loud. We were reading them right Here's before the we started names. here. Right. Yeah. And we're, we're going to get to that. Before, I want to talk about, because this co-founder of the Huffington Post. Yes. I, I, need, to, I need to hear everything about that. First of all, why didn't they call it the Seacoff Post? Uh, well, uh, Ariana had a little bit more uh, Q factor, high Q factor, better name recognition. And how does – so I'm trying to th- figure out when I caught up with the Huffington Post, maybe around 2006. Yep. Right? Is that when this was yeah, started? We, we and launched... you call yourself a newspaper at that point or what, what was it? You know, it, this was – it's interesting to look back now. Mm. This was the time when blogging was, right. the, was the explosive thing, yes. right? And uh, what happened was, I don't know if you remember, but in, on the heels of the 2004 presidential election, uh, when John Kerry, war hero, lost to George Bush, uh, not war hero, mm-hmm. and uh, everybody in the Democratic side of things went apeshit. Right. It was like, what the hell happened? How did this guy <laughs> lose to that guy? Right. Remember, I don't know if you were working uh, at NBC and SNL at the time. Remember the famous sketch with uh, John Lovitz as Dukakis and yes. Dana Carvey mm-hmm. as B- Bush? And then yep. he turns and goes, I can't, I'm losing to this guy. <laughs> right. right. Well, everybody was like, how the hell did this happen? So all the West Side, L.A. liberal kind of folks got together and tried to figure out what the hell happened. And one of the things that came up was the Republicans had perfected this echo chamber, mm-hmm. you know, that you'd have these uh, places like uh, think tanks like the Heritage Foundation right. they'd come up with an idea. Then they'd float the idea out. And then Drudge would blow it out. Mm-hmm. And then Swift everybody. Boating, all of that. Yeah. yeah. And then everybody in talk radio would parrot whatever Drudge had on the top of They're his page. They're exceptional at this. Yeah. So it became fantastic. And everybody was like, we need our Drudge. Right. That was the original thought. Mm-hmm. Like, how can we compete with this? And everybody in 2004, if you remember, uh, Howard Dean had gotten a lot of traction on the, the series of tubes known as the Internet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So everybody thought, you know, maybe the Internet would be a way that we – because that, that was a 30-year plan that the Republicans had to build this uh, machine, this, uh, this echo machine. And we thought, how can we truncate that time? I say we. I'm really not a political type <laughs> person. But, uh, you know, they were saying that. And then the idea was maybe we could use the Internet. Mm-hmm. And what would be our drudge? And that was the original thought was, you know, we would create something that would allow this. And then, but, of course, but originally it's different than that because Drudge is just a series of links, right? He's an aggregator correct. who just – You know, and by the way, Drudge uh, was working at the gift shop at CBS Radford. Correct. Right. When correct. I was writing Seinfeld, he was the goofy guy who sold the hats that said Seinfeld on them. Yeah. Well, the yeah. interesting thing was though that, you know, his – How did he go from there to this thing? Right. Right. He, he seemed like a, just a goofball nerd like all of us. Yeah. And then he's out there he, selling He liked wearing the crap. fedoras and doing the kind of, you know, right. 1940s. Yeah, and really in the TV. And yeah. the, hey, Gilligan's Island was here. You know, yeah. it was fun. Sometimes I you stumble going in into there. the thing, right? Right, right. Jack and Clampett. he also was working with uh, a name that has now become incredibly big on the political landscape, Andrew Breitbart. Okay, now, right. Now, Andrew was really Drudge's guy. Okay. Right? He was the behind-the-scenes mm-hmm. guy. And Andrew was brilliant in understanding the internet. 
Mm-hmm. He was kind of ADD, and he had a million thoughts, and he was, they were going all the time. And I became friends with Andrew in the early days because he— But had, was it always as insane as it is now? What? Was Breitbart a just a conservative uh, uh, outpost? Well, there was no Breitbart. Back then? There no, was there none. was no Breitbart. Right. There was just Andrew. The, and right. Andrew was working with Matt. Right? I see. And he was also previously a researcher for Ariana Huffington. Mm. So when I started working with Ariana, because I worked with Ariana for five years before the Huffington Post was even mm-hmm. a glimmer in anybody's eye. Mm-hmm. And whenever we had a really tough nut to crack, research-wise, we'd call up Andrew and insanely, 30 seconds later, you'd hear tapping, and he'd have the answer. Really? I mean, he, was, he was amazing, right? Wow. And this is maybe controversial for people who only know the name Breitbart, who <clears throat> only maybe got to know Andrew later. He was a hysterically funny guy. And he and I really hit it off. So he's helping Huffington Post start. Yes. <laughs> Andrew. That's well, this is something the thing. Wow. Does anybody know that? Uh, here's the thing. That's insanity. I'm about to break the story here with you, Spike. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm working on a story right now one of the, for the, the next book. Right. And one of them is uh, the kind of the working headline is, um, hate Breitbart, thank HuffPost. Because wow. really what happened was – this is a long story, but basically Andrew was very, very, very involved in the founding of HuffPost. It didn't last. He was gone after two months after the launch because the fit was just never going to work once, right. once it became clear. But he was – What ve- was that? What, it was a fit in direction for the for – the, the politics. The politics, yeah. right. See, because Andrew – But we're his – that's what I was getting to. Yeah. We're his politics as insane and radical not, as the no, current Breitbart. Not at all. Not even your... close. And I, this is my opinion. Uh, you know, Other people may disagree who know him. I feel he would be miserably unhappy mm-hmm. about the current state of his name, right. what his name has come to symbolize. Right. But, see, here's the thing about Andrew. What I think he was when I knew him in the beginning, back in 2003, 2004, 2005, he was a consummate shit stirrer. He loved <laughs> – like, if he found something that was going to cause shit to hit the fan right. and it was against the Republicans, he didn't care. He didn't care. He just loved he, – he was like, you know, a merry prankster. Right. And he always had a twinkle in his eye, and he's a very funny guy. And but he knew what people were going to click on. He, he was knew really, what... really good at that, right. right? And so he and I would get together, and we would talk, and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, and it was just fun. He loved the movies. He loved sports. He loved the Dodgers. You know, he was just a, a wonderfully <laughs> funny guy. But – and so he, in the beginning – once the idea of HuffPost was really just at the very, very, very beginning, Ariana said, you know, uh, we have to call Andrew, you know, because Andrew really, you know. <laughs> darling. You, darling, if you, if you want to do – Like Mrs. Mooney. If, if you want to do the internet. That, and Andrew came in at the – I'm talking about the very, very beginning. Yeah, yeah, Before yeah. there was anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, and was it really just you and Ariana Huffington and a couple other people in oh, a was, tiny little office? Yeah, yeah, but not even an office. There was no office. There was none. No. So at the so very it's beginning, a site and it's and there's no remember, site. It's just an idea. <laughs> it was a notion, right? It's, it's just a notion. And, and the crazy thing is, is that Ariana knows this guy though. Oh, oh, and oh, well, no, he had worked for her. Oh, he had worked. Yeah, for oh, yeah, he had been her researcher back in the day, and they had, they had uncovered some crazy shit. You know, uh, there was things like uh, a guy who had been ba- buried, uh, you know, in the Arlington who didn't belong there because he hadn't been in the military. You know, and they had discovered that, and they had a, a, you know, to disinter him and everything. So they, again, the shit stirring, right? So when it was the very, very, very beginning, there was really five people. That was it. Mm-hmm. It was me, Ariana. Kenny Lair, who's now become, you know, one of the great uh, investors of, in the internet, a great VC guy. And he, he was the, one of the founding, founders of the HuffPost. Jonah Peretti, mm-hmm. who went on to found BuzzFeed. 
and uh, and uh, Andrew. So it was the five of us, and that was it. <laughs> Andrew Breitbart. Yeah, and the ideas were coming. And in the very beginning, my, my Rush idea, Limbaugh wasn't involved in that no, one. No, no, he wasn't like that. But Andrew would come on, and we'd get on the phone. And this was December of 2014, uh, mm-hmm. uh, 2004, 2004. And Andrew would come on, and he would have seven million ideas. Mm-hmm. And I'd say that six million nine hundred ninety-nine no, were like bonkers, mm-hmm. and ten of them were like, "Holy crap, that's right!" Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he was really, really smart. And uh, what was the core idea that you would have uh, writers posting their own stuff on your it site? It was going to be a or? combination of things, right? So as you said correctly, Drudge was really one thing. It was just a link machine, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't even have B pages uh, where you would click through to. Right. It was just he would link you out to AP. He would link you out to Agence France Press, the Washington Post. By the way, how, did, how does he make money doing that? There was enough traffic to that main page that he made a lot of money, and it was a two-man band. On ads on his site or kickbacks from – No, ads on his site. And he made enough money that that fueled the lifestyle that he wanted. He never really wanted a lot more, which actually is why Breitbart was founded. Right. Because he didn't want to do more, and Andrew brilliantly thought, you know what? We could make five times as much money if we just link to ourselves. Right. right, and if, if when you click through, you would click through to what we call the B page, right? Mm-hmm. And then that B page would lead to a C page, and you could be within your own ecosphere, and you wouldn't leave for two hours right, or three right. hours, which is really what HuffPost got very good at. What we called being sticky, mm-hmm. right? We got very good at being sticky. How do you make? Oh, then you see this, and that you might also like, as the Amazon people say, right? Right. And then you click on that, and then five other things, and what's trending, and then next thing you know, you, you're deep dive. You know, into the thing for two hours. Wow. You know? And so does it remain yours until AOL buys it? No. Who who owns the thing now? Uh, Is Ariana even involved in it anymore? No. She's not. No, no, not, so, no longer. So the original founders are out. Everybody's gone. Everybody's gone. Yeah. Um, so basically, yes. Uh, AOL bought uh, HuffPost in 2011. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Ariana and I stayed. Uh, we, we stayed with the, with the company for another five, six years. And then... Um, Verizon bought AOL. So Verizon's now floating over the top, which mm-hmm. owns a thing they call Oath, which includes AOL and uh, Yahoo, which they just recently bought, and that's Oath. And underneath that is HuffPost and uh, TechCrunch and uh, many other brands. Do you think Yahoo's going to survive? I still use Yahoo Mail, and I get, I get crap for it constantly, but I just don't – I don't want to switch over because I don't want to lose – Ten right. years of email. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> well, I've got so much story there they, that I can reference. They have so many people. Right. That's why the brand, you know, uh, as it becomes blended into Oath and the larger brand, mm-hmm. I think people still want to keep the emails. They do. I have many people who still use the AOL. Well, I have. Email. I have so much car history between yeah. you know Paul and I and Jerry and videos. I can reference it constantly. There, in fact, there have been many times where Jerry has sent me a car and I go, "And you tried to buy this ten years ago? <laughs> Look, here are the pictures. What's wrong with you? You didn't buy it then." So the Yahoo search function still working for you? you Everything works very well. Very good. Yeah, but yeah, I get bad. made fun of as for being an old man. But <laughs> but whatever. Um, yes. So that was the glorious run. Uh, Eleven years as we went from those five. Five people, mm-hmm. basically in Ariana's living room, right uh, in Brentwood, uh, into uh, 19- and Andrew Breitbart was in Brentwood as well. Yes, right. Yes, because I remember on his last night he ate at that Brentwood Grill that I like to have dinner at on Fridays. Yeah, that that place. It's really sad. I mean, obviously, super sad. What right with Andrew, but the funniest thing was, you know, obviously uh, he became bigger and he became much more mm-hmm. a darling of the Tea Party, and uh, I, I think a little bit more. Uh, radicalized or at least living out loud. But the last time that Andrew and I were together, 
uh, there was a panel. And the panel was, I think it was at the Wiltern Theater. And it was me, Andrew, the guy from Crooks and Liars, Mickey Kaus, you know, and basically. <laughs> How can you hang out with those guys well, listen, was, if you're doing the Huffington Post? Didn't matter? Well, no, th- those guys were all uh, sort of left. Right, They're, right. they're progressives. Crooks Andrew and Liars, the, right. Yeah, Andrew okay, was the right, only right. guy. Okay. Mickey was sort of like in the middle guy. But they're re- at this point, they're reasonable conservatives, which is very different than what we it's have today. We're in the business It was together. starting to get a little bit uh, crazy. Crazy, right? right. So, and this was sponsored by the LA Weekly, this event. So the event was populated mostly with mm-hmm. the lefties, you know, uh, right. liberals, whatever, progressives, however you want to phrase it, mm-hmm. uh, non-Andrew <clears throat> fans. So it basically on the stage, Andrew and I were sitting next to each other, right. and then the other guys were off to the side. And it really became this thing with Andrew and I just going back and forth, disagreeing about everything, but in the warmest, most hilarious way. Right. And we're going back and forth, and we're making each other laugh, and we're like, you know, you're crazy, that's insane, let me show you why you're wrong. And suddenly the crowd is like wondering, what is going on? Why are these two guys having such fun? They, yeah. sh- they should be sworn enemies. You right, know? Right. It should be like uh, you know, Tom and Jerry, right? Yeah. Uh, and so suddenly Andrew stops and goes, okay, I have to tell you the truth. The HuffPost guy and I, we love each other. <laughs> and the people look, and I'm on stage, and I'm going, it's true. It's well, true. The- we, we, re- we really do. You know? And that's the thing. You can disagree in a fun way. And you can have fun, and you could, you know, obviously what's well, happening You used now, to be able to. You correct. Can't, you can't do that now. Basically, after I left HuffPost, right. uh, I decided I needed a year, because it had been crazy. I mean, it had been a fantastic 11-year run, but, we, you know, 24-7 news cycle. It's insane. Constant, right. right? There was, oh, the bigger we got, there was never any downtime, because especially when we went international. There was always something happening somewhere. So I, I was the founding editor, but I also thought of myself as the fire chief, because there was always a fire burning somewhere, you know? Email would pop up, oh, my God, so-and-so is so mad. Could you read this thing? And then you'd have to dive in and figure out, well, do they have a right to be mad or are we, you know, are we wrong? Oh. And it was constant, right? Yeah. And also, the last four years, I was the president and the creator of HuffPost Live, which was our live streaming network. Mm-hmm. And we did 60 hours of live oh, wow. programming a week. I was on it. I remember. Fantastic. I, uh, very, very In proud New York. Of it. Yeah. it was fun. And we had one right here. Actually, this is kind of old home week for me, guys, because – our offices, uh, the AOL HuffPost offices, mm-hmm. were right there, 331 Maple. Well, why the hell did I have to go to New York to do it then? Well, we, we, we ended up closing <laughs> down the studio at a certain okay. point. But uh, anyway, the last four years, I ended up commuting from L.A., where I've always lived, mm-hmm. uh, well, since 1982. I grew up in Miami, uh, to uh, New York. So I'd fly on Monday and fly back on Friday. And I did that basically 35 weeks uh, a year for four years. So I was a little bit tired. A little bit tired, a lot of airports, enough. Yeah. So I took a year off to just literally cleanse. Mm-hmm. And also, my daughter had two more years of high school, and I really wanted to be there for her final two years of high school. And that's been the best part of the last mm-hmm. you know, year and a half. So. so anyway, so I took this time off. And <clears throat> when I started to think, you know what, I should start being creative again. I don't know what I want to do. Uh, I just started writing notes. Actually, not doing anything creative, just note Now, why again? What were you doing before Huffington Post? Well, I was a screenwriter. Oh, you were? I was a screenwriter for eight years. Wow. Uh, and I was in that – Did you get anything made? Well, that's the hell of it, right? I was <laughs> – you know, I, I had a perfectly good career. Yes. I was – I had deals all over town. So you were rewriting scripts. I was rewriting – well, here's how it would work. You're getting paid. I was getting paid. I had that a very counts. Ni- that counts. Very nice middle – oh, yeah. No, I was a professional, you know, uh, screenwriting kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like I said, deals here, deals there, but nothing getting made. So I was like right. an architect who never got past the blueprint phase. Right. Very frustrating. Yes. You know? And then I met Ariana, and I went on that 17-year run 
which was the best thing that ever happened to me, and it was fantastic, changed my life in all kinds of ways. Uh, every way, mm-hmm. you know, was, was better. Uh, and so I took a year off just to have fun and traveled and, you know, worked out and kind of got healthy. And then I thought, yeah, I do have this creative verge that I usually have, and I don't know which way it's going to go, which direction it's going to go. So I just started writing these notes. And one of the things was I thought, you know what, there's all these funny stories that I tell over dinner. If you meet mm-hmm. me after a while, we talk, you know, hey, let me tell you about the time Chevy Chase grabbed my balls. You know, what? <laughs> yeah. And then you tell the joke and people like, like, oh, you're pretty funny, you know? So I thought maybe that'd be a good place to start because I kind of had already road tested them. Well, what is that story? Now I want to hear it. Yeah, I will tell you the story <laughs> in one second. So basically, that's what these stories were. I started writing down, but then my unconscious got involved. And I had this explosion of, see, the way I say it is my unconscious started talking to me, but it didn't whisper to me, like, hey, Roy, maybe you should do this. It came up to me like a crazy person on the street, like, hey, asshole, this is what you should do. Because I started waking up in the middle of the night, every night, exploding of with course. ideas. Of course, yeah. And I'm writing them down. Yourself. I'm writing them down. Right, and right. Suddenly, it's like insane. One night I woke up, I started writing myself emails. I woke up like seven times between 2 a.m. and 5 a.m. And there was that time. Shit I hadn't thought about for 40 right, years. Right, right. You know? We're Comes back up. to the bipolar <laughs> discussion. <laughs> well, yeah. As I, I, say in the, I say in the book, I say in the book, it wasn't a manic episode, but I could see manic from where I was. We were just yeah. talking about the Manic crea- adjacent. The, the creative. Yeah, we were talking and, about the creative, the, the, the insanity and genius being very close neighbors. Cor- correct. And I was happy having this moment, right? Right. And when I finished this week, I had 85. Now, they weren't all like stories are fully fleshed out, but they were like bullet points. Like, right. I could talk about that mm-hmm. time. So I just, I had no goal. It wasn't like, I'm going to write a book now. I just thought, you know what? Maybe I'll write some of these stories and just see how it goes. What, what is my voice outside of HuffPost? Because, you know, that had been my thing. I'd been building that brand, that voice, helping, you know, not myself. I'd been helping build that brand for 12 years, mm-hmm. right? So I started writing and... It just started pouring out of me. And I thought, I like that voice. And I walked out and I said to my wife, honey, I know what I'm going to do for the next three, four months. I'm just going to write these stories. <laughs> and I didn't have an idea what they're – and that was very freeing, right? I didn't have an idea, I'm going to write this book and there's going to be these 20 stories. Mm-hmm. And I just started writing and just having fun and just was really enjoying it. And the great revelation for me was, do I have discipline outside of deadlines? Right, because I've been on deadline for 17 years, Right. And I did. Mm-hmm. And so I just really started every day, eight hours a day, standing at my desk. I do the standing desk thing. That's and, insane. And I started just – it poured out of me. And I wrote very quickly. And uh, and I really liked what I was doing. So I here just, it is. And here it is. Now here it is. Uh, this short now time. how did you get it made though? Did, okay. you, did you walk around town well, and go, hey, make my book? Well, I'm Roy Seacoff. I, I, learned, <laughs> I learned some interesting things. Uh, the short version of this is – I just wrote these things, and when I finished, I got 20 stories, and I thought, that seems like a book. I don't know. <laughs> you know. And I kind of reordered it, and I gave it to five friends of mine who are writers, and uh-huh. I said, tell me the truth. You're not doing me any favors if you bullshit me. So right? is it, did you write a proposal? Or no, I wrote the book. You wrote I the just book, wrote a and book. you just handed it. I, I, I just wrote a book, you know, and I gave it to my friends. I said, tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. Wow, and, that's brave. And the response was fantastic. It was like, dude, this is really funny. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, we were laughing out loud. This is great. We love it more and more and more, right? John Kennedy O'Toole, yeah, right here. And I thought, maybe I uh, got something here. So, I again, I'm just... Confederacy f- of Dunce's reference. That's yes, right. it was. You didn't think That's I knew very that. good, Spike. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> I have one of the original copies of it with the soft cover. The advanced... What do they call this copy? This is the ARC, the advanced review copy. Yeah. I have the one before that. The uh, the, the galley. Test, the test proof, or whatever it's called. Yes. Of Confederacy of Dunce's. I'll give it to you if you want it. the name of the character? 
Who's Ignatius a, Loyola. Thank you. Right. Nicely done. Yeah. Book nerds. The that's us. Are going, what we is were this? just revealed. <laughs> Get back to the Porsche stuff, Spike. What are you doing to us? Well, yeah, we can we're talk giving cars. you a little culture. We're that's giving you right. a little culture. culture. Read that. At least read the first chapter about, what was it, the hot dogs like yeah. amoeba in the, in the water. <laughs> but anyway, so, so everybody liked it. And I gave it to, you know, I knew. I knew some people. Right. I met some people yep. over the years. In the word biz. So, so I, I, you know, I wrote a little email saying, hey, I wrote this book. I don't know. Do you got somebody over at your agency who might uh, – and like five minutes later, they wrote back and they said, yeah, send it to so-and-so. You know, And I sent it to so-and-so, who's a big partner at the thing, and he went, I love this. It's crazy. Like he read it in like uh, an hour. You know, wow. I love this book. And I'm like, really? But here's what happened. I got a little taste of learning what the publishing industry is like right now. And it's being disintermediated, mm-hmm. like everything. Right, not quite where the music <clears throat> industry is, but I started getting the response, and the response was not about the writing. The response was the marketing. So, how are you going to market this? How many followers do you have? Right, exactly. You know, I said, well, I personally don't have many followers. I've been building the HuffPost following, but I'm not the HuffPost guy anymore. I'm now me, and I hadn't worked any of that. And they're like, well, we need, you know, if you have a million followers, then the math says it's worth, you know, right. And so I said, you know what? That's I totally get it. By the way. No complaints. Uh, my stories are, I, I think, really entertaining. I think if you're a fan of those people, David Sedaris or mm-hmm. Larry Dave, you're going to like I the love book. them. You know? Yeah. I think you're going to like the book. But I understand that it's not like, oh, an older Jewish fella who's funny? There are none of those around. <laughs> so how do you get past that? When- the, the brave new world of independent publishing. Ah. See, what I started, my you son. bypassed him. My well, s- dismediated. That was a word. Disintermediated. I knew you would pick up on that, Zuckerman. I'm going, wow, disintermediated. <laughs> what, a, what a concept to really play with in my mind. Right? But it's so true. It, it describes what has occurred in the past 20 years. Completely, right? And my son, who's uh, a musician, mm-hmm. uh, he's also a college student, but at the same <clears> time, he's been a producer and he's doing actually quite well. He said to me, Dad, your thinking is very 20th century. Uh, why don't you just get in the 21st century and cut out the middleman, bro? Right, right. Because he's now putting out his music on SoundCloud in these places, right? right? Directly. And, and people are like, hi, I'm in China, and I love your music. And you're like, what? Yeah, <laughs> you, you know, right. This is, it's, it's, so he said to me, you know, so I started looking into this, this world. Of, and what I learned was pretty amazing and got me very excited. 70% of all books are sold on Amazon. Mm-hmm. You and I, uh, maybe you have other connections. But I and you have as much uh, entree into Amazon as the big five publishers. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same, right? So I can get on that platform in the same amount of time that they can. In fact, faster. The big question becomes, how do you market it? That becomes, how do you break through the din? I don't have the exact numbers, but it's something like there's, I'm going to blow it, but there's something like 8 billion books on Amazon. You know, I mean, they put up like 5,000 new books. But can't you just call up Huffington Post and go give me the front page? Well, not, not really. <laughs> I'm going to try. Uh, the call will Why be coming. Why not? Of course. The, of course. The, the, that's your leverage in this conversation. Yes, correct. Well, I'm not, right. I'm not going into it completely blind. Right? right. But what I realized was, or unarmed, you know, so what I realized was, I can just do this myself. If they want to know what my Rolodex is, because that was the question. How right. Are you, how are you, who are you going to call up? Right. How are you going to get, you know, marketing in this? Yes. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do that, instead of giving away 90% of my royalties, maybe I could keep 
seventy percent of them, which is the Amazon. Is game. that really what they take? Ninety yeah, percent? Yeah. And that's th- so you're really not making money on no, a book like that. If, if you're Lena Dunham or if you're Amy Poehler, you know they're going to give a you a deal. three million dollar advance, and they figure they're going to. And if you- you're this guy, what do you get? <laughs> Bubkis. Bubkis, baby. <laughs> you get Bubkis, right? So what I decided to do was just cut out the middleman, and and do it myself because you know luckily. HuffPost was very successful, mm-hmm. and it gave me a little bit of a cushion that I could, you know, not... And a little bit of exposure to media. Yes. And how to intermediate yes. media. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. the book is called Lax Self-Control, True Stories. I waited until my parents died to tell. I love the cover. I love the whole thing. Roy Seekoff is his name. Where do we find this, Amazon? This is on Amazon, and yes. it's, it's, a, it's coming out June 12th, but available for pre-order now. Fantastic. Uh, it's available on ebook, paperback, hardback, and soon... Audible. Qu- and- quickly tell us the Chevy Chase story. Okay. I mean, just so, give me the one-minute version. One-minute version. Tough version, but I'll give you the one-minute version. When I was a young man, uh, we launched a magazine. This uh-huh. is when there was no internet. Uh, and we started a thing called Laugh Track. And we got Michael O'Donoghue to be on the I know. cover. Yeah, sure. From right? SNL. Yeah. Right? One of the original guys. One of the greats. One Mr. Of the main Mike. men. Right? Yeah, so one Mr. of the reasons Mike- I'm in comedy. Right. Exactly. All of us. A lampoon legend. Yes. Right? So mm-hmm. we got him on. And he was on the cover, and it was a crazy story about how we got it. It's in the book. Read the book. But anyway, 11 years later, Mike died. Mm-hmm. And suddenly – and they had a, a gathering for him, a, a memorial service at the Formosa. And a bunch of people showed up, and we thought, we should show. We could come with this thing that he wrote that maybe nobody saw because we only printed like 10,000 copies, right? So we went there, and it was kind of a boozy affair and everybody telling stories about Mr. Mike. And everybody went to the back room, and everybody got up and told stories about Mike. And, you know, they were sad and funny and hilarious. And Chevy got up, uh, and he kind of did the Chevy thing, and he told the stories. And there was a lot of rolled eyes because the truth is that most people in the room knew that Mr. O'Donoghue did not like Mr. Chase. Ah, I didn't know that. <laughs> did not, did not, did, did know not that. care for, 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 for breakout star. <laughs> yeah, did not know that. I didn't know that. Even though you knew that. But anyway, uh, he, he – uh, so at, after this was all done, here I was. I was a young guy, like 26 years old, and I got up and I said, well – Maybe I'll say something. So I walked up to the front of the room, and I said, uh, unlike most of you, I, I didn't know Michael very well, but I had a very interesting week with him back in 1984, and here's this magazine that we did, and maybe I'd share it with you. And suddenly I heard this commotion off to the side. No, stop, 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 stop. And it was Chevy getting out of the booth. And in order to leave the room, he had to walk past me standing up at the front of the room. And he starts walking by me. <laughs> And then he says to me, um, uh, puts out his hand, and uh, I go, oh, he says, sorry, sorry, I got to go. I got, sorry, got to be be somewhere, right? So he puts out his hand to shake my hand, so I reach out to take the handshake, but he then takes his hand and grabs my entire unit, the entire three-piece set, and he grabs it and he goes, nice balls. (laughs) And then he lets go, and he starts walking out of the room. Now, I am – I guess the word would be flummoxed, right? Yep. I don't know – no one's ever grabbed my balls before Did quite like that laugh? in that way. No, they were horrified. So I looked around, <laughs> and there was, there was mortified faces all around because it, you know, it was the dynamic. It was mm-hmm. the power dynamic. You know, yeah. This bombastic movie star and this young guy, and he's you know, kind of belittling me, obviously, and, and you know, molesting me. And so he's walking and I my brain just kind of froze. I just was like, did that just happen? <laughs> and just as he got to the door, my wits came back to me. And I said, "Wow. 
uh, you know, maybe Cops and Robertsons, which had just come out, didn't suck as bad as I thought. Now, <laughs> Spike, Mr. Z, it is the f- biggest laugh I have ever really? gotten in my life. Awesome. I, I'm not talking about ha-ha. Yeah. I'm ta- I don't want to hurt the audience. I'm talking people banging on the table, right? I'm talking about people screaming, laughing, laughing, tears coming down. Now, listen, I know that's not that funny of a line. In fact... It might not make any sense. <clears throat> right. But it, but it was the, the big timing. Guy. It was the timing and the dynamic. You know, young guy, molested, gets his wits <laughs> about him, says thing, and this wave of laughter froze Chevy in the doorway. Wow. It was like an IED had blown up, you know, and, the, and you know, the concussive waves. And the he emperor stopped, has no clothes. And he knew that I'd said something, but he, he didn't want to turn back, right? And he kind of just froze there and he kind of went, I should probably just leave, right? And he just walks out of there and the laugh dies down and I go, Anyway, let me tell you about Michael and me, right? And the place became sort of mine. Right. And people start coming up to me afterwards like, great bit. Like I'd prepared it or Mm -hmm. something, you know? Fantastic. So funny. Do you have a script? And I was like, (laughs) do I have a script? Are you networking at a funeral? And like, well, yes. Well, in fact, I do out in my car, if you don't mind. I have a buddy comedy. And I got home and my wife said, so how, how was the thing? And I said, honey, I killed at the funeral. That's great. You know, I killed so, it. Zuckerman, do you think the concussive wave of laughter is what hit Chevy in the head and it made him who we he were, is today? We were talking before you came <laughs> in about this and about how Chevy ends up in a road rage incident in upstate New York recently. And I said, look, he's a guy that's always been an asshole. And, and as you get older, you try not to hide it as much or you're not capable of hiding Correct. it as much. And ergo, you end up rolling around with some poor kid in upstate New York screaming, I'm Chevy Chase. Yeah. And, and, and But is there anything better? than an old Chevy Chase movie. I watch yeah, them all the time. I never thought They're he was... so funny. I, like I just Bill don't need Murray to meet him. What would be on your number one on there? On the, on the, on the Caddyshack, for sure. I just watch that's Bill Murray's movie. I just watch Caddyshack. I just like watching him in it. Right. And then I like the uh, the one... Uh, what is the one where Foul they... Foul Play, they, Fletch. No. It's the one where they buy the mansion up in upstate New York. Oh, yeah. The Money Pit? Yeah, no, money that's pit. Tom Hanks. Uh, Tom Hanks is the Money Pit. Chevy had a different one. Neighbor, the neighbor, There's a great neighbors. scene in, the, in that movie where he's fishing in his little pond. He's a writer. Yeah. He's, he's procrastinating. Yeah. Yeah. And he pulls in the snake and the snake attack. I don't know why. That makes me laugh harder but, than... But what was telling the future was that horrible movie, Dr. Detroit. That's yeah. a movie that said this no, guy I think of Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd. Oh, that was Dan Aykroyd. Oh, you're right. You guys are just co-pollinating the entire <laughs> SNL uh, first generation of but performing. Caddy, if we can go else. back to Caddyshack, one of the one of the greatest movies ever made. Really? Yes. Okay. Here's my think about all about all these kind of movies. I I look, but I look at that movie. I just watched it again. I went. There's so much of where I began in comedy in that movie. But did it strike you as funny, or did it just make? Did it warm the cockles I laughed of your my asses your off? Did, did, really? My ass constantly Off. at that movie. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Mel Brooks made me laugh a little harder when yes. I was younger, but yes. that movie really just hit me like a bolt of lightning right through my head. And Chevy was a big part of it. Yeah. I, I liked his character a lot. I, mean, I still it, remember the naked girl. It's remember interesting. The naked girl? Well, yes. Remember the checks? He's just got checks lying around. But, <laughs> there are all of these wonderful little details in that film. What do you mean, the, the checks? He never cashed his checks, so he'd find a check for $70,000 sitting in his living room. This is the character. Right, but you know the real story of that. No. So, we you know, Doug Kenny. I was going to end the show, but I can't. Well, what, what, what's the real well, you know, story? Doug Kenny, yeah. the, the founder of Lampoon, co-founder right. of Lampoon with uh, Henry Beard, um, 
you know, had gotten a little bit into maybe the drug scene mm-hmm. following of course. Uh, the, the success of Animal House. There's a movie, there's a Netflix movie right now about... about uh, uh, it was Canada. the 80s. Yes. And apparently the money was pouring in so much that when he was down, uh, I think it was either in Hawaii where he ended up dying um, or in his Beverly Hills manse, uh, a friend of his was visiting him and they were looking through um, a book and a check fell out for like a million dollars. <laughs> And the guy said, Doug, there's an uncashed check here for a million dollars. He's like, oh, I was wondering where that was. And that's maybe where they put that. They and made, he was making that, was that real... much money? Yeah. Well, Animal House, uh, Caddyshack. So that was the movie money. Yeah, that was the movie money. The movie yeah. money. They had gotten, and that was real Their deal money. was not anyway. super great on Lampoon. Yeah. It wasn't bad. I mean, they, right, they walked right. away with a, a nice chunk of change. Wow. Uh, but, yeah. And, well, excellent. Uh, and Chevy in the book. There you go. Among other among the, other tales. The book is called Lax Self-Control True Stories. I waited until my parents died to tell. Roy, thanks for coming on the show. You got to follow him on where? We got to get his following up. Yeah, we're on the we're on the Instagrams. Instagram uh, at Roy Seacoff or you could go to www.royseacoff.com and sign up for my newslettery kind of thing and we'll stay in touch. And let you, can, you know where I'm coming to your the town. The book's hilarious. You can buy it on Amazon. Zuckerman, what do you have to say before we say Great goodbye? Great guy. One of the Great best guy. guests ever. Stamp of approval. We give Absolutely. him a big Z on the side Love of his head. Guy. There you go. Yeah. And I'm Spike Ferris, and follow me on Instagram. Um, that's where I have the most fun. We'll see you next week on Spike's Car Radio. Real quick before we go, here's some useful car tips you might not be aware of. A coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. Removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage, and you can place your key fob to your chin to increase its range. That's pretty weird, right? Well, here's another tip you also might not know about. True Car also helps people get used cars. That's right. True Car isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with TrueCar, users can see what others paid so they know if they're getting a good deal before they're buying. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with TrueCar certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, check out TrueCar and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Thanks for listening to Spike's Car Radio. Download new episodes every Wednesday on the Podcast One app or subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or PodcastOne.com. Everybody likes free things, right? So help my podcast stay free to download with minimal ads by taking a very quick survey over on Podcast One. Responses will help align the appropriate advertisers to my audience. Maybe there's things I share with all of you that you're not into. Maybe there's things... Well, why... (laughs) Why would I share things that they're not into? Don't don't talk about that. I'm going to share what I want. But maybe there's things you think I should be talking about. The survey is short and completely anonymous and takes no more than five minutes. There are two easy ways to begin the survey. Go to www.podcastone.com backslash my survey or go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. If you filled a survey out in the past for other shows, we totally appreciate it. But we still need you to do it again. You're doing me a huge favor. Me, Spike, a favor, and Podcast One, a huge favor by filling it out. So what are you waiting for? Get the survey, fill it out now, and vote Zuckerman off the island. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. 
and all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.